We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Would you open your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 6? It's our practice to read a chapter, either from an Old Testament book or New Testament book, every morning and evening service. And we find ourselves here in Revelation this morning in chapter 6. If you recall from chapter 5, there was only one found worthy to open the scroll. And in that scroll are seals, and we find those seals uh, opened here in chapter 6. Begins in this way in chapter 6, verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb, that is Christ, opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice, with a voice like thunder, excuse me, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people would kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. Then he opened the third seal, and I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for denarius, and three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It's a bit of a side just for a moment. Sometimes... We ask this question, is there any remembrance in heaven of things on earth? I think this is one text we can look to and say, I think there is. To what extent? I don't know exactly, but these martyrs have some recollection that they were martyred for Christ, for the sake of Christ on earth. And so 
there's at least some amount of remembrance. Uh, perhaps we will know fully what that looks like one day. Verse 11, then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of, of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? All right, let's turn our Bibles, please, if you would, to uh, Luke's Gospel in chapter 8. Luke chapter number 8. We are in verses 16 through 21. Uh, God willing, this morning. The Bible has told us that the audience to whom the Lord is speaking was a great crowd. A great multitude had gathered when he gave the parable of the soils in verse number four. And uh, then his disciples asked him and he explained it to them. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that the, that, was, that was done privately to some extent. Now we're coming back to another parable that the Lord taught, the parable uh, of a lamp or of the revealed light, as some have called it. But a straightforward reading of the text, in any case, indicates to me that the Lord's words apply to a broader audience than just, say, 12 disciples or the Jewish people, but to a, uh, all of humanity, really, not just any kind of subset of humanity. The immediately preceding parable of the soils concerned how you and I hear the message of the sower, the message of the Word of God, which is planted, which Jesus likens to a seed. In other words, it's about how we uh, understand it, how we believe it, how we obey it, and how we produce good fruit as a result. That's just kind of wrapping up last week's message uh, about the parable of the soils and the illustration that we use there to, uh, to try to encourage us to, you know, really allow the seed to, to have its... Uh, growth and change in us. We come now to verse 16 and verse 17, which are about seeing the light, seeing the light in verse 16. It says, no one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Now, really, we could look at this from two perspectives. I've looked at it from the seeing perspective. We could also, and we'll see this too, looking at it from the, um, uh, the shining out the light perspective. So from the perspective of being a, like a lamp or a person who is seeing the lamp for the purpose of my title there in section one, I've opted for seeing as the focus. 
The Word of God is like a seed, but it's also like light. The Lord uses the metaphor of light to call us to demonstrate our faith out there in the marketplace, if you will, out there in the world in real life and to shine it into the lives of other people. You'll recall Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, verse 16 also, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I think that's a fine parallel passage to this. The Lord illustrates with a lamp. You don't put a lamp, you know, turn a lamp on and then cover it up with a vessel, with a bowl, with an opaque object, with a dark blanket. Uh, You don't put it under a piece of furniture in the corner, but rather you set it up somewhere where people can see it. No one covers the lamp intentionally because it would be a waste of light, a waste of fuel, a waste of the wick. It would completely defeat the purpose of what light is all about. You're just going to cover it up, put it in a corner or whatever. You might as well extinguish the torch, extinguish the candle, save the batteries, save the electricity. Now, you might use something a little bit translucent to reduce the glare or make it more appropriate for the setting, like we use a lampshade, but you never snuff it out entirely. Rather, you put it up high on a lampstand. God similarly revealed light to have it be seen and not be hidden. Anything that hides it is contrarywise to its purpose. Now, what is light? Light is sometimes a representation of holiness in the scriptures. 1 John 1, 5, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We're talking about God's purity, God's separation from sin. Other times, as here, it represents truth. God's truth is described as light, and particularly his truth about Jesus Christ in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is a, a verse that alludes to this. It says, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Okay, alluding back to the creation, first opening moments of creation, really, when God said, let there be light, and there was light. It's this God who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And where do you see that glory of God and to get the knowledge of that? It's in the face of Jesus Christ. You see the glory of God. You see the knowledge of God. You see the light of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So yes, we're using some symbolic language, some metaphorical language, but I think it's clear enough, uh, hopefully. The light represents the message of Christ as it manifests itself in the Christian, in the life of the Christian person. In the same way, if we have the seed of God's word and the, you know, like the light of God's truth, it's completely ridiculous to store that seed in a freezer. Remember our example from last week about the seed vault. You don't put it in a freezer so that it cannot grow, nor do you obscure the light so that it cannot shine. We instead put it up there where people can see it, and we let the the seed germinate and be nourished and grow. It then serves its purpose. Well, shining the light and seeing the light are two different things, and I guess maybe I should just pause and and ask ourselves the question, if you're here today and you profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ, 
how many lumens are coming out of your little light? You know, is it just a little pen flashlight running on, you know, one little AAA battery? Or is it one of those mag lights that has like four D cell batteries in it with an LED lamp that really lights up the whole room? And if you're not a Christian here today yet, my question is, are you seeing any light at all? Are you like, um, remember what the Lord when he healed uh, the, the one blind man and, and it was kind of a two-part healing where, you know, he worked on him a little bit, I'll call it, and he, he, he could see, but he couldn't understand what he was seeing. He could see, he couldn't see clearly. He saw, he said, it looks like, People are like trees, you know. I don't know how we knew what people looked like or how we knew what trees looked like. Can you imagine that, not knowing the difference and just having never seen them before? But the Lord then went to phase two and caused him to be able to see clearly what he was looking at. And I wonder if, you know, you're like the person who doesn't have yet clear sight. If you see a little bit of light, maybe it's shadowy, maybe it's fleeting, it's moving back and forth. Um, you have some blindness yet. Maybe today's message will help as we think about this. John 1.5, talking about light from the seeing side now, not from the shining side. John 1.5 says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, an illustration, if you will, please. The phenomena of visible light makes up a small portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. On that same spectrum, you will find, if you're familiar with it, you'll know what I'm about to say, you'll find shortwave radio signals, AM radio, FM radio, television, microwaves, infrared radiation. You'll see visible light, visible radiation, that electromagnetic, which we call light in its diverse colors. Beyond that, in shorter and shorter wavelengths, uh, ultraviolet light, x-rays, and gamma rays. It's a very strange thing how God has made this to work in this spectrum where it's all basically kind of the same phenomena, but it has very different results depending on where you are in that, in, in different parts of the spectrum. These are all forms of EM radiation. God created the human eye to be sensitive to radiation from 400 nanometers to 700 nanometers in wavelength. That's a very small, small wavelength. From 400 at violet to 700 at deep red with all the colors that we know in between. Now, some people can see outside of that uh, range of 400 to 700 nanometers. They can see, uh, for example, like... We have a lens on our eyes, and that lens is designed by our Creator to block out ultraviolet light to more or less of an extent. If a surgeon were to remove that lens in your eye, then you could see another 100 nanometers of light down toward 300, if I have my direction correctly, and you would be seeing ultraviolet as a bluish-white light. Some people have that. There's a condition where they weren't born with a lens. Um, 
And then you might imagine if, if only my eyes could see beyond that really tiny slice of the electromagnetic spectrum, and if I could see above and below where my eyes are able to see, and I could see microwaves and radio waves and television signals and all of that, you know how this room would look? It would be insane. I mean, you'd be seeing the radio signal from my pack here on the lapel mic that goes over to that thing, but actually it's distributing all the way throughout this room. So you could actually probably see it. You could see me speaking on the radio. That's weird to think about. Uh, This is an illustration for us. We can illustrate truth using this light illustration in the electromagnetic radiation spectrum. I, I could say it this way. Now, bear with me for a second. Truth is on a spectrum. Now, you think that's a very strange statement for me to make because you know how I preach. And that's going to confuse somebody who's not paying close attention. I'm not talking about your truth, my truth, everybody else's truth on that kind of spectrum like that. What I'm talking about are the several types of truth or facts that we encounter in this world. For example, mathematical truth is one part of that spectrum, and scientific truth, and social and moral truth, and and, uh, physics, and then there are biblical morals and facts along that spectrum of truth. Just kind of imagine that spectrum there in your mind, like the electromagnetic spectrum, but with these different kinds of facts or truths on it. Line them up in your mind or on a piece of paper like the spectrum chart. Now think of human perception of those truths. Our natural eyes, so to speak, can see some mathematical truths very easily. They're pretty much right in the middle of our visible range. In our, I'm talking about our mind now, our mental range. You know, we can understand facts of mathematics like addition and subtraction. And with a little bit of squinting, we might be able to get long division. And some of us have a very acute kind of vision where we can see you know, derivatives and integrals and Fourier transforms and all kinds of other crazy math stuff that people study at the advanced level. Similarly, some facts in the realm of physics are easier for people to see and some harder to see. And some people even say, I just can't get that. Their vision is not acute in that wavelength of the spectrum of different kinds of truth or different categories of truth. General facts, I call them, just to kind of throw a bunch of things into one bucket, are easy enough to see if they're brought to the light, but oftentimes general facts are hidden from vision by propaganda or misinformation or just general ignorance due to lack of proper teaching or lack of somebody doing their homework. It's always interesting to see, like I recently saw a video of people who are kind of pro uh, or anti-Second Amendment, we'll call it, reading for the first time facts about guns uh, on, a, on a video, just no, no coaching or anything like that. And they're sitting there in shock when they're reading some of these facts. That's just one example of kind of uh, a, a, just an ignorance of certain pieces of information. doesn't mean that they're unable to see those pieces of information. 
But as we move into other areas of our truth spectrum, like the electromagnetic spectrum, and we come to moral truth, moral truth is at the edge of human ability to understand and grasp. We see some people who have a very difficult time understanding basic moral truths today, don't we? Their vision has become myopic, or it's been brought in like tunnel vision, and they're unable to see basic moral truth. Now, some people see more moral light than others. You know, there are people who maybe are somewhat religious people or you know, what we might call good people who have more what we know as, as, as Christian theologians as common grace, and, you know, they agree with us on many moral issues, but then there are others who aren't there and have a, a fundamental inability to see that moral truth. But biblical truth is, is somewhat, I'm, I'm kind of picturing it as even outside of that spectrum of just, you know, basic morals like, you know, don't murder and don't steal and those sorts of things. Like our inability to see ultraviolet light or radio waves with our eyeballs, in an analogous way, humans, because of our innate spiritual condition, are not tuned to grasp God's truth without a serious upgrade in our capabilities. God has designed that upgrade to happen when a person contritely repents of their sin and turns in faith to Jesus Christ. That's when your eyes have their surgery done on them so that you can see. The cataracts are removed and you're able to see biblical truth clearly for the first time. Now, Christian theologians have a more direct and less metaphorical expression of the situation, but I thought that the illustration of frequencies beyond our ability to see with our eyes might help you to understand when you observe or interact with non-Christian people that they have a kind of blindness. And it's hard to understand sometimes. You might exclaim with frustration, can't you see? Why can't you understand? This is so easy. It's because their eyes are unable to see that part of the spectrum. No matter how brightly your light is shining in their direction, They may miss it entirely or misinterpret it or be confused by it because it seems to interfere with their normal vision of things. And that's because what 1 Corinthians 2.14 says is true. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So that's from the seeing side, seeing the light. But I turn my attention back to the uh, production side of light. Even though there is this kind of spiritual blindness to the wavelengths of God's truth, Christians are called to shine brightly anyway. The least we can do is eliminate any unnecessary obstacles to people who have a difficult time seeing You know, if you have somebody in your home that has a major problem with macular degeneration or glaucoma or or total blindness, you're going to be trained to not leave junk in the middle of the floor for them to trip on. Well, sometimes our lives as Christians have a lot of junk in them. 
Peter says it this way, because of your conduct, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God. And they say, why do I need to have that kind of religion? My life's better than that already. So the least we can do is eliminate any obstacles like lampshades or hiding the light under the, the desk or the bed. The natural obstacles are too severe already for us to be adding any more to them. And so I go back again to Matthew chapter 5 and tell us, let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Verse 16, again, no one when he has a lamp covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. Our lives are to be light. Verse 17 looks forward to the final judgment. Notice what it says. For nothing is secret, presently, that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden, presently, that will not be known and come to light later on. Secrets will be open. God will lay everything bare. Hidden things will be brought to light. In other words, the light of truth is going to shine at some point in everybody's life. That includes us who have the Word of God, and that light from God is going to search out whether we have been faithful in distributing the light of God or whether we have taken our light and hid it, hidden it under a bushel basket. God made known to us the good news about Jesus Christ with the purpose that we would become conduits, fiber optics, if you will, shining light to other people. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 in the caption box there. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both, rather, bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So the Lord asks us or tells us about this light here, and we kind of have the idea of seeing the light, but he shifts his attention now in verse 18 and he, he just kind of quickly changes metaphors. Therefore, take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. Now we're going to be talking about hearing the light. That sounds strange. <laughs> One more illustration, if I may, this morning. It's about this uh, phenomenon called synesthesia. Have you ever heard of that? Synesthesia. Synesthesia is when your brain routes sensory information through multiple unrelated senses, causing you to experience more than one sense simultaneously. We were speaking about this last night and thinking about how sometimes taste and smell get kind of interwoven a little bit. Well, there's a reason for that physically, but it's, it's like that, but a little bit different. Some examples include people who taste words or see in their mind numbers as shapes or colors. There's a, a, a real phenomena that happens with that. It's a, a neurologic condition in which two or more senses mix or amplify one another. There's some uh, savants in mathematics who see numbers and formulas as colored shapes in their minds, and they do computations with those shapes and colors. And it's hard to understand for those of us that don't have that. Uh, and we're talking here about hearing light. I just ran into a new study that suggests one particular form of this synesthesia condition 
hearing sounds from flashes of light. In one study, 22% of participants claimed they heard faint sounds associated with flashing of lights. And I'm sure this, the guys doing the study didn't make the flash like, you know, how you could hear a, a camera flash. It was a silent light, I'm sure. Um, but they could hear, they, they had this effect of synesthesia going on. So one out of five people may have that kind in particular. In verse 18, the Lord switches to this shining, from the shining light to something you hear, which connects back to verse 15. Notice verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground, this is the seed, the word of God, are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with repentance. They heard it, their heart was attentive to it, they kept it. In other words, they obeyed the word they heard, and they bore fruit with patience. Therefore, take heed how you hear. So how do you hear the light? So when God's truth flashes across your eyes, do you hear it in your heart? Does it make you bear fruit and keep it like in Luke 8.15 we just read? How we hear means or refers to how we understand or respond rather to God's truth. How we hear refers to how we respond to the truth of God's word. We might function as if we are deaf to the Word of God. In other words, that we've lost that part of the spectrum of our hearing on the auditory spectrum of frequencies that might hit our eardrum. How we hear in that case is very bad if we're acting as if we're deaf to it. Or if God has tuned up our hearing to hear the truth, The question is, are we doing something more with the truth than just storing it away like a seed in the seed vault? Are we turning it back into light to shine out to others, or are we just burying it? Considering the coming judgment, which we saw in verse 17, we must take heed to how we hear the word of God. And verse 18 gives us then a twofold explanation of what's going to happen. With that, look at verse 18. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken away from him. Now, just lifting this out of its context, and you might think, oh, well, it sounds like the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer. You know, we're always thinking about money these days. The currency here is not dollars. The currency here is divine revelation. The currency here is revelation from God. The currency here is the self-disclosure of God by which we know God through Jesus Christ. That's the currency. If somebody hears the word of God with care, he is the one who has, and God will reward him with more of this same kind of light and life in eternity. Matthew 25. I'll just read a couple of verses there over the next moments. In Matthew 25, verse 21, the Lord said to the servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So he had, and then he had more. But on the other hand, the Lord says, The one who does not pay heed and listen to the words of God God will take away even that little bit that he started out with. 
that he might have built up over initially kind of listening and paying attention. Look at Matthew 25, 28. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. The fellow who was wicked and lazy and thought the master was a mean old ogre, incorrectly thought that, but he didn't even take his money and put it in the bank for interest. He just buried it for a while, then brought it back out again. And so even what he had, the one talent that he had initially given to him by the master was taken away. This teaches us that spiritual life and truth are not static. If you seek them, you will receive more. But if you reject them, you will have even less than what you had before. In other words, to say it a different way, if you reject what you hear from God, your spiritual condition is going to continuously decline. Sin is that way. Depravity is not a static phenomena again. It's a dynamic, almost ever like ever swallowing kind of thing that will consume you if you just forget what God has said and ignore it and and set it aside and don't listen and act as if you're deaf and don't hear and don't give attention to the light that's shining before your eyes. May God open our eyes this morning and may God open our ears. Let him who has eyes to see, let him see. And for him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I think Luke puts the next three verses here not necessarily chronologically, but with a purpose to illustrate what he's talking about, what the Lord has been teaching. And so in verses 19 to 21, we see this little incident with Jesus' family members. It says in verse 19, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Well, there's a little bit more of a backstory to that. In uh, Mark chapter 3, the text of Scripture gives us these words. It says in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, I think this is a reference to his family, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. You know, this crazy busy schedule that he has, always talking to these huge crowds, doesn't even have time to care for himself, take some time to rest and whatever. He's going to burn out as if the Lord didn't have the wisdom to know what he needed. So Mary and the other, uh, her other sons, the brothers, could not physically get near to Jesus because of the crowd. The Bible just lays this out, this family relationship out just plainly. We're to take it in that manner. Uh, we're not going to jump through hoops and try to make the brothers be cousins or half-brothers or, or, you know, in the sense of not being born from Mary. They're, they're indeed Mary's offspring. And they couldn't get in because of the crowd. So the, those present relayed the message to Jesus that his family was trying to see him. Uh, he probably knew that they thought he was a little bit uh, off his rocker. Of course, he wasn't. But Uh, The Lord then replied in verse 21, and his reply may shock our sensibilities. But he is not dissing his mom or his brothers here. He is 
taking the opportunity of the situation to teach two spiritual lessons. Look at verse 21. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those, or sorry, are these who hear the word of God and do it. You, you see that hearing again and doing again from the parable of the soils and the parable of the lamp? All tied together here. First, to his family members, the lesson was he was not going to stop what he was doing because of their incorrect analysis of his situation. There was no problem with him. He was not out of his mind. He was not beside himself. In fact, if we use the language of Luke 2.49 when he was 12 years old, he would say this, I am about my father's business. He was teaching the way of God in truth. The people needed to hear it, and all the cities and his family members also needed to hear and obey the word of God, just like everyone else. Remember, there was a time Luke 7 tells us, or John 7 tells us that his brothers did not believe in him. That is a sad statement of Scripture, isn't it? But it's true. Later on, we believe they came to believe in him once they came to their senses and kind of thought through the matter and observed more carefully. But in the beginning, they did not. The second lesson applies what Jesus has just been teaching about the seed growing and the light shining. As close as Mary and the brothers were by blood, biologically we would say today, Jesus says that those who hear God's word and obey it are even closer to him in the spiritual realm. <clears throat> Christians are related to Jesus indeed by blood, but it's a different kind of blood, isn't it? It's the blood of the cross. The blood of the cross which cleanses us from sin, the blood of the cross that ransoms us, that buys us, that pays for our sin and makes us whole. The blood of the cross in which if we were to plunge, we would be made whiter than snow. That's what the Lord is talking about. When that happens in a person's life, then they hear the word of God and do it with a noble and good heart. They keep the word, they bear fruit, they set their light to shine as Jesus' real mothers and Brothers, You know, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. Remember that passage from Hebrews 2.11? Christians are his friends. John 15.5, no more do I call you servants, but I call you friends because a servant doesn't know necessarily what his master is doing, but I'm telling you what I'm doing. You know, you're on the inside track here. Christians are part of God's family, the body, the church. Christ is the head of that household, isn't he? So in this way, Jesus ties all of his preaching together. Seed to growth, to hearing, to obeying, to light set forth, to hearing and obeying again, to seeing the light, to being rightly related to him. The lamp's lesson for us, I just kind of back up to that for a second, is that we must set forth our light to those around us. If our light is dark, how will our neighbors see the light of Christ? How we hear the light also is critical, like letting the seed grow instead of just sitting in the freezer and doing nothing 
And our response to all of this will be tested at the judgment. Also, we'll be tested if we don't know him yet and we don't see the light just yet. But there will be a time when everyone will see light. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the resplendent light of his glory, that confession will be made now or later, but it will be made because he is the Lord. And so we ask that you'd let your light to shine and that if that light is shining like it is here in this message from this pulpit, from this church, from Christians around the world, from the Bible itself, that you would see that light, you would submit yourself to that light, you would contritely repent of your sin and be cleansed by the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verses that were very meaningful to me and part of my testimony of salvation were in Matthew chapter 2, or 10 rather, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And the verses were these, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. May you be in the first, not in the second category today. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the teaching of your Son about the lamp, encouraging our light to shine, our seed to grow, our hearts to be noble and good, to obey the word of the gospel, and to follow up with continued obedience and truth. And Lord, I pray that you would open eyes of some today who may have those spiritual cataracts. Those of us, Lord, who have a lamp, that we would uh, plug it in a little bit more diligently rather than letting the batteries run low. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.